Hello and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast. If we haven't met yet, then I'm Claire. I'm a registered nutritionist and I have a background in exercise science and functional medicine as well. And I focus solely on PCOS because I've got it too and I know how damn frustrating those symptoms can be. So my sort of aim is to help you understand your body more so that it's not frustrating. You understand what's going on, why you're getting the symptoms and ultimately working on how you can get some symptom resolution. So this is a mini pod Q&A. So we pop up a question box on our Instagram stories at the PCOS Nutritionist is our handle. All one word, no gaps, no dots. Uh, And then weekly, we pick out a bunch of those questions, as many as we can answer in sort of 10 to 15 minutes and pop them on here. So this week we had amazing questions so just for in future we've just actually decided this week that we're going to what we're going to do is um answer the questions sort of a fortnight from when you ask them just because otherwise it's a bit of a rush for us to get it back to you so just remembering that when you ask questions from now on you will get the answers in a fortnight if we can answer them of course we can't answer all of them i'm very sorry but I'm not superhuman, and so I can't get through all of them that fast. I know I already talk quickly, so you can imagine how ridiculous it would be if I tried to answer all the questions in 10 minutes. So this week, lots of questions about birth control, which is fascinating because we're doing a podcast about this next week. So Anne, you were asking about tubes getting tired and, and then gaining a whole bunch of weight and there's their hormonal changes. Um, way you were asking about best ways to prevent pregnancy. Nicole, can I stay on birth control and still correct malfunctioning body systems? So in the podcast over, we probably actually may even split it into two podcasts. It's quite long. Um, but the next week or maybe two weeks I've dedicated to answering and really trying to provide you a balanced argument between all the ways that you have in terms of birth control. So I think the one of the problems in um, at the moment is that we have either really, really sort of pro-conventional medicine and the pill is the only way, and then we have really, really pro-natural and that the pill is the devil. And I kind of sit somewhere in the middle. I'm like, actually, all I want you to have is the informed consent of knowing exactly what's happening, what you're taking, what it's doing, what the pros and cons are in terms of the success rate, the other effects that that could have on you, and then to be able to make an informed judgment about what you want to take. Because I see that actually hormonal contraception is a fantastic contraceptive, and for a lot of people that is what works for them, and that's what they want to do. And so I don't want to be, you know, I want to give you those options, but I also want to give you the, you know, information so that you can make sure that you don't down the track be like, oh my God, I never knew that. I never knew that was happening in my body. For example, I don't, I didn't know that I wasn't getting a, the period that I was getting or the bleed that I was getting on the pill wasn't what a normal period is caused from. So a normal period is caused when you have, when you ovulate and then you get a rise in progesterone and a fall in progesterone and your body goes, ah, well, we're not pregnant this time. So we're just going to burn the whole house down because we're so angry about it. And um, that's what basically happens. You, you're like the nest that your uterine lining that your body was preparing for a little um, embryo is no longer needed. So your body goes, oh, well, might as well burn the whole thing down again, start again next month. So that's what it does. Whereas when you're taking hormonal birth control, you don't ovulate. You don't then um, take 
because you don't make your own progesterone and instead you're taking a synthetic form of uh, progestin and when you stop taking that then your body gets that withdrawal from the progestin and it sheds the uterine lining because that kind of triggers the same response okay but the big thing there is that you're not ovulating to cause that so as soon as you remove that pill you're then you likely may not get a period if you weren't getting a period prior to going on the pill if that's one of the reasons why you put on it was because you had a regular period it's not going to fix it it's not actually regulating your period which I think is a really bad term that is used in the medical world when actually that's actually not what's happening you are getting a synthetic withdrawal bleed okay so this is what I want you guys to understand um, fully so that you you are making an informed consent informed decision about what you are taking and what that's doing to your body and you know exactly all the options available to you okay so that's so we do go and we do go over all the different methods of contraception and including tubal ligation which is when you get your tubes your fallopian tubes kind of stitched up or they may even remove the fallopian tubes in some instances Um, and we'll be going through all of the hormonal non-hormonal contraception options available to you and all the kind of pros and cons so all of those questions will be answered over the coming couple of weeks for you guys Um, next question Marielle I'm bleeding every day for a month. What does that mean? Okay, so what this means is this is a lot of people think, oh, I've had my period for, you know, two weeks, three weeks. No, that's generally not the case. Um, Generally what it is, if you're bleeding more than a week, this is what's called intermenstrual bleeding. And intermenstrual bleeding happens, so your period, as I just explained, was when you ovulate then your body then triggers progesterone to rise. When your body realizes that you're not pregnant, if you're not, then progesterone will drop off and that'll signal to your uterine lining to shed. Intermenstrual bleeding, on the other hand, is generally when your body, and this is only one example, we can, I'm sure there's lots of other examples, but I'll just give you this one example. But one thing that often happens in PCOS is that your body is trying to ovulate more than once. So it'll it'll attempt to ovulate and because your hormones just aren't quite balanced it won't be able to and so your body in the in the attempt ovulation it'll raise your um, hormone called estrogen and um, you know to to allow you to ovulate and build that egg to the right size and then when those hormones just aren't quite right the egg won't be able to be released and so you'll get a drop in the estrogen and that can be enough to trigger some bleeding. Sometimes your body gets a bit confused and it's like, oh, oh, sorry, I thought we were supposed to be bleeding right now. And then that can set it off in this, what's called intermenstrual bleeding. And sometimes it can take a while, especially if your hormones are a bit unbalanced, to rectify that. So generally, if it's going on for kind of more than a week, it, it, it generally more intermenstrual bleeding rather than a period. And so this might, require a chat with you know different doctors or functional medicine practitioners to try and figure out what the right outcome for you might be um, if you go down the conventional route generally they'll say hey we'll, we'll put you on hormonal birth control and that will stop the bleeding uh, and then allow you because what will happen is basically when you go on hormonal birth control as you'll hear about this next week it um, it stops you from ovulating. So it basically takes over the control of your hormones and instead uses synthetic these synthetic hormones. And so it'll, it can be really effective at helping things like intermenstrual prolonged bleeding. 
Um, there are other ways that you can also do that. One is by figuring out what's the actual problem here. What's the root cause of why my hormones are a bit out of balance? Is it you know that my insulin's too high? And is that then affecting my sex hormones, which is often the case. Sex hormones I mean by like estrogen and progesterone, testosterone, etc. Um, is it that your stress hormones are t- too high? And again, is that what is then downstream affecting your hormones that control your bleeding and ovulation? Or is it a thyroid condition? So that would be um, two different ways that you could attack the problem is go, right, we either kind of fix the symptom or and maybe fix the symptom and then also try and address what the problem is in the, in the meantime and why you're getting constant kind of intermenstrual bleeding. So two, two options there. Again, you'll learn more about the hormonal birth control option next week and understand what that's doing and whether that's the right, you know, you might then be able to go and have a chat to your doctor and functional medicine practitioner or someone else about whether that's the right thing for you. Um, but really what I would say is that it's, it, even if it can be great at fixing the symptom, but please don't just stop there. Please also try and figure out why those hormones are unbalanced because generally there's a whole lot you can do with lifestyle intervention to fix that over the long term rather than just a short-term symptom management approach. Um, next question, Rebecca, I was born with PCOS. How did I get it? I was a hockey athlete and then my weight just absolutely exploded. Um, so if you go back to the podcast, our earlier episodes, I think it was about episode five or six, I interviewed a woman called Mia, uh, Mia Dr. Mia, who is a um, research, so she's researching in PCOS and the evolutionary origins of PCOS. So basically, how did it come about? Um, and if you listen to that episode with her, you'll see that her, basically her conclusion from her research is that PCOS is a symptom or a condition of our genetics not working well with our environment. So what that means is that you are likely born with a genetic predisposition to develop PCOS, okay? And and many, many people as well with PCOS will have the... Um, genetic predisposition to develop insulin resistance so when so but that doesn't necessarily mean that you will go on to develop that okay so when we look at identical twin studies which identical twins are born with the same genetic makeup if PCOS was purely just genetics nothing else then we would see that in every identical twins case if one identical twin developed PCOS and the other would have to if it was just genetic but we don't see that. There is a strong connection, but it's not 100%. So we do know that environment plays a big role. And we also know this with lots of other genetic, you know, gene-based conditions like um, breast cancer, for example. There is, you know, they've been able to look at different genes and whether you're predisposed to that. And there's this BRCA gene that predisposes women to developing breast cancer. But not everybody with the BRCA gene develops breast cancer, okay? Um, so there, whenever there's a genetic predisposition, that's what it is. It's a predisposition. And then it's that environment is what I was talking about before with, well, then if you've got that pr- um, propensity to develop insulin resistance, like I have, then um, if you, depending on how what you eat, how you move, um, your stress management, your sleep, vitamins and minerals, that could determine whether you then go on to develop insulin resistance or whether you don't. Okay, for me, 
I definitely did. I had that genetic predisposition. I definitely did. And um, and I can't go back and change that. So it's not really, that's not really under my control. What's in my control now is what I do to actually make my body more sensitive to insulin. And if weight gain's been a significant one for you, then I would be considering really looking into whether insulin is a problem for you. And um, yeah, and then I would learn how to adapt your lifestyle to improve that rather than worrying about whether was I born with this or because there is in in a lot of cases and in most cases something you can do about improving your symptoms okay it's not that okay there's nothing I can do if I was born with it there was nothing I can do about it well what I'm saying is that you're likely born with a genetic predisposition um, and but your the environment that you live in has helped those genes kind of be turned on and so if we can figure out how to like adapt our environment adapt what we're eating how we're moving our vitamin mineral intake our sleep our stress etc then we can sort of reverse that process especially when it comes to something like insulin which is often exacerbating things like weight loss weight gain and symptoms in PCOS so I hope that helps Rebecca as I said if you go back to um, the early episodes of the PCOS nutritionist podcast then you'll see um, that episode there with Mia. We will link to that one in the show notes of today as well. That probably takes us into a nice segue to your question, Ashley, which is what are the top supplements for PCOS? You often see lots promoted on um, social media and Instagram and stuff like that. Um, Supplements are a really interesting one. It really comes back down to what I was saying before to Rebecca what's driving that for you so this is what I term the root cause or PCOS type is another way that Lara Bryden calls it that Um, it really is when you understand that then you know when we can understand what's going to have the biggest impact for you so for example um, inositol is a fantastic supplement Um, but it mostly works by improving insulin sensitivity. So if someone doesn't have any insulin resistance, it's probably not going to do much for them. Um, And there may be, well, it may do something, but there may be better alternatives. And if, for example, there there is mostly inflammation-driven, then there's probably other alternatives that would be better, like N-acetylcysteine. So really, it, it comes down to, I want to give you the things that are going to have the biggest impact for you, rather than you spending thousands of dollars and so much time and wasted energy trying different things and the problem is when we also like when we don't know what we're treating we just end up jumping from thing to thing and for those of you that are new here I use this example a lot which is when someone asks me what food should I eat or what diet should I go on or what supplements should I take I was like okay so if you went to say your car is broken and you went to your mechanic and you said hey my car's broken, what parts should I buy? The mechanic would be like, well, I don't freaking know. Like, what's wrong with it? Let's figure out that first, and then I can tell you. You might not even need a part, right? It might just be a couple of tweaks that we just need to tighten a bolt here or, I don't know, maybe change a spark plug. As you can tell, I have very little knowledge when it comes to mechanical expertise. Um, But, you know, that would be the – and you would say, okay, yeah, that makes sense, right? Okay, tell me you that makes sense to you. So the same thing applies, or the same if you went to the doctor and said, hey, I've, um, I've got these problems, what medication should I take? And the doctor would be like, I've got no idea, I need to understand 
what the problem is but to then know what's going to work same thing applies when it comes to changing diet and a lot of people get confused with this and I understand why because you've always been told that you know there is one healthy diet or one healthy way to live and I think I say that that's incorrect especially if you've got something like insulin resistance your dietary requirements might be quite different just sort of the quote-unquote normal population and we can use diet to have a different effect in your body for example when it comes to insulin we can change the amount of like carbohydrates or what you're eating to have a different effect on how much your insulin how much insulin your body is producing and therefore how much blood glucose your body is producing so um yeah really it comes down to if you want the changes that are going to have the biggest impact for you you've got to know what the problem is otherwise I could say cool yes well ovocetol fantastic research behind it in, in PCOS and insulin resistance okay but if you don't have insulin resistance may not you may be throwing your money down the drain um, secondly if you have N-acetylcysteine an amazing antioxidant great for inflammation again not an issue for you throwing your money down the drain um, vitamin D, um, fantastic if you've got vitamin D deficiency and you're not getting enough vitamin D. If you've got too much vitamin D, you already have enough vitamin D, it can be toxic for you. So you've got to know what the problem is before we can say what the solution is and what the supplements are going to be or what the diet's going to be or what type of exercise is going to work for you the most. Okay, so really that's the, that's the crux of it. Figure out what that problem is first. Otherwise, you're going to me, your mechanic and he's going to take you for a ride. He's going to go, brilliant, I saw you coming. Here, you need all of these 15 parts, okay? That's what you're going to need. And suddenly your, what would have cost you $300 to get your car fixed has now cost you 15000 because you didn't know what the problem was and you were just trying different things. And that's exactly the same as how it could work in your body. And I've seen this in myself and seen it in so many other women with PCOS is that, you're just jumping and trying thing to thing because you don't actually know what the issue is. So um, yeah, that's really what it comes down to. But um, really, yes, you're asking Ashley about like vitamin D and vitamin B12. I said about hey, vitamin D, fantastic. Many women with PCOS are deficient, but get the levels tested. Okay, it's a really accurate test. Vitamin D, just get it done. Go to your doctor, get it done. See if you need some vitamin D. Um, B12, if you're on metformin, yes, you definitely need vitamin B12 because it does leach B12 from your body. Um, and if you are not eating any animal products, yes, you're definitely going to need vitamin B12 as well. Um, but um, whether you need additional is, up, yeah, depends again on what the problem is. Cool, so that's all we have time for today. If you're like, after this, you just listen to me rant then about the mechanic and you're like, cool, so who's my mechanic, Claire? Well, that is what we do inside the PCOS protocol. Um, that's exactly my whole point of doing that is trying to, first what we do is trying to figure out what the problem is that we're trying to solve. And then from there, once we know what the problem is, we can then, you know, adapt your diet and the way that you're moving and what vitamins and minerals and supplements are going to be most effective for you. And again, my, my sort of ethos is to try and get the most results from the smallest changes. So we're not trying to just remove every single thing out of your diet and, you know, go vegan as well as keto and, you know, do all those sorts of things. It's just trying to tweak things that are going to have the biggest impact so that we're not, we're making this more sustainable for you. And I did get a question about, so if you 
this will be, I'll answer this next week. But if you do have insulin resistance, does that mean that you have to, you know, live like the, that the rest of your life? And the answer to that is, well, you can improve insulin sensitivity. We do know this. So likelihood is that you may have to be a bit more careful at the start, but later on you can be a little bit more liberal with what you're eating and, and your lifestyle too. So we will talk all about that next week. But if you want to know more about the PCOS protocol, head to thepcosnutritionist.com forward slash the PCOS protocol. And if you've got any questions, don't hesitate to email us. We're just hello at the PCOSnutritionist.com. Excellent. Thanks so much for listening in. We will we will message you guys that we've answered your questions, let you know that you can listen in. Um, but thanks so much for all your lovely questions. We will also answer many for next week's and then, um, as I said, we'll always be a week sort of behind answering your questions just to give us enough time to actually get the podcast out and the show notes up and stuff like that. So hope you're well. Chat to you next week. Bye for now. Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information including about the PCOS Nutritionist products and services and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals as appropriate regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.